This is Channel 253. In this episode of Crossing Division. There are plenty of of great ideas out there, and I I think the trick is, is getting the money to those places. But personally, I think, you know, for people who feel concerned about their their neighborhood being an unsafe place, put up streetlights, get a community center somewhere nearby or or a place that can be designated as such, probably takes care of a lot of those people walking down the streets and people in their houses feeling unsafe. That probably takes a large chunk of that. Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the second 2021 Friday Forum from Downtown On The Go. Uh, Downtown On The Go is the advocate and resource for all things transportation in Tacoma. My name is Laura Swanzerek. I am the uh, Commute Trip Production and Advocacy Coordinator for Downtown On The Go. Um, I want to sincerely thank you all for being with us today uh, for this important conversation. I want to let you know that automated closed captioning is available on Zoom. Uh, At the bottom of the screen, you'll see a closed caption button. You can click that and turn on captions. The theme for the 2021 forum series is racism in transportation policy. And today we'll be discussing how initiatives and policies meant to keep us safe on the streets can have racially asymmetrical impacts when it comes to enforcement. I want to thank our media sponsor, Channel 253, for their support. The podcast Crossing Division with Evelyn Lopez will continue this conversation on an upcoming episode. This forum is being recorded by TV Tacoma uh, and will be aired several times beginning tonight. I want to also thank our event sponsor, Parametrics, and I would like to give a moment to uh, Jim Dugan from Parametrics um, to say some words. Hi, everybody. Good to see all of you. It's great to be here. On behalf of Parametrics, we thank you for your participation with this particular subject. So Parametrics, founded in 69, 52 years old, 575 employees, multiple offices in multiple states, primarily providing engineering of record services, has four divisions, and one of those is transportation. And it is through that arm of the company that we have a vested interest in that subject, And through myself, I manage the Tacoma office, have a vested interest in Tacoma. And so uh, with that, Laura, I just want to thank everybody and uh, hope you enjoy today's workshop. All right. Thank you so much. Um, I want to let you know that there will be a Q&A section at the end of the forum. You can submit your questions at any time during the forum as you think of them as they come up uh, using the Q&A function on Zoom. Now, I would like to introduce our moderator, Tanisha Jumper. Uh, Tanisha is the Media and Communications Director for the City of Tacoma. Tanisha, go ahead. Hello, everybody. Thank you for being with us today for our second of the 2021 uh, Friday Forums. Um, These are one of the highlights of my my months, uh, and I I love uh, being able to have these really interesting conversations. Very excited um, that today I've got such great um, community members and uh, colleagues uh, to have a really interesting conversation. So today I have Liz Castor from the City of Tacoma, Isha Hussein, a a student and activist with People's Assembly, and Naomi Smith from Laser uh, 
lawyers against systemic racism. And we are going to just jump right into this conversation. So um, I'm going to start with Naomi. And can you just tell us a little bit about who you are, what do you do, and, and what's your connection to street safety? Hi, my name is Naomi Smith. I am a local defense attorney in Tacoma. Um, and I'm also a member of Lawyers Against Systemic Racism, LASER. I am the co-chair of the Advocacy Committee. And my connection really largely has to do with the fact um, what I do for a living, I deal a lot with people who are who have contacts that start at a lot of times based off of traffic laws, pedestrian laws, or contact because they are on the street. So thank you. Isha, thank you for being here with us today. Um, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your experience? Yes. Hello, my name is Isha. I'm a junior at Lincoln High School. I grew up in Tacoma. I first started off at Soda, but now I'm at Lincoln. Um, when I was at Soda and just growing up around Tacoma, I had many experiences with street safety, but the majority of them were me feeling unsafe. And my colleague, Liz Caster. Yeah, so my name is Liz Caster. I am the city of Tacoma's active transportation coordinator and a senior planner in the public works department. So my job involves leading the city's efforts on policies, projects, and programs aimed at making it safer to walk and roll. So that includes walking, biking, skating, riding a scooter, using an assistive mobility device. Um, like all of us, street safety is also personal for me. So I've lived in Tacoma for over 15 years. I primarily get around by walking, biking, and transit. Um, so that also impacts my approach to this work. Um, I would say like sitting at the bus stop on Portland Avenue outside the Eastside Community Center with a very wiggly toddler on my lap has definitely taught me more about street design than some of the transportation design classes I've been in over the year. Um, but I also recognize that my experiences on the street as a privileged white cis woman don't reflect the experiences of everyone in our community. And so um, excited for this discussion and just all the, the opportunities that we can um, move forward as a city to, to center the expertise and lived experiences of Black and Indigenous folks, all people of color, people with disabilities, and all those most impacted by the transportation disparities we see. Thank you. Um, so we're going to just jump right in. Um, so Liz, the first question is for you. And how does the city approach safety for people walking and rolling? And how is the city of Tacoma working to be um, anti-racist in this active transportation effort? Yes, great questions. Um, so I would say that there is an increasing focus at the city of putting safety and equity at the center of our transportation projects. So we're certainly a work in progress. About a year ago, City Council passed a Vision Zero resolution that set the goal of eliminating traffic injuries and deaths by the year 2035. In Tacoma, we had 17,000 crashes between 2014 and 2018, and our increase locally in fatal and serious injury crashes was twice the statewide average. We know that these crashes don't impact everyone equally. In Pierce County, for example, 3.4% of people killed in traffic crashes were Indigenous folks, but these communities make up just 1.2% of the population. We're just getting started with the planning efforts on Vision Zero now, um, but a big effort will be digging into the data on where we see disparities and then working with the community to develop strategies to address them. Um, of course, infrastructure is a major area of focus. I know infrastructure was the topic of the last forum, so I won't go too in depth, um, but in terms of an anti-racist approach, we're looking at both the design and the prioritization of projects. 
Um, so for design, we know that people of color are more likely to walk, bike, and use transit. And in Tacoma, we've got a solid policy foundation that says we should be prioritizing people using active transportation and transit. And so it's just making sure that that gets implemented on all of our projects. It also comes down to how we work with community on design and implementation so that community members can be involved in the transportation decisions that affect their daily lives. And then prioritization is really key. So anyone who travels in Tacoma knows there's so much need for even the most basic like sidewalks, curb ramps, not to mention safe crossings and connected bikeway network. Um, national studies show us that low-income communities and communities of color are much less likely to have safe active transportation infrastructure in their neighborhoods. We're still working on building out some of those data uh, pieces locally, but we do know that there are clear disparities in things like where we have sidewalks and where crashes are taking place. Um, one model for prioritization I'd really like to see us build on is the city's Safe Routes to School work. So before I came to work at the city in this role, I was a community active transportation advocate and in that role, I mapped state crash data to find out where youth were being hit by cars in Tacoma and found that there was a child being hit every eight days while walking or bicycling in our city and that those crashes were disproportionately happening in neighborhoods with lower income folks and more people of color. Um, so we worked with many community members and city staff and city council to pass a Safe Routes to School Action Plan in 2017, which prioritized investments based on the number of crashes near each school the percent students of color at each school and the percent of students who receive free and reduced price lunch. So since then, we've been working our way through the prioritized list. So as we get grants and city council allocates funding each budget cycle. Obviously, when we're talking about the safety of our kids, like it's, it's slower than we would hope. It feels like there's never enough money, but in many ways, I think it can serve as a model for how we're, we can at least be proactive in looking for those disparities and then actively work to fill those gaps. Because um, we know like if we use a complaint based system where only folks who have like access or uh, to call their council member or whatever to, to make a complaint or the peanut butter approach where everyone gets an equal share, we'll just continue to see the disparities grow. And then, of course, there's increasing recognition nationally and locally that we need to address the role of enforcement in our transportation system. So nationally, like Safe House to School has dropped enforcement as one of their six E's. So it's now engagement, equity engineering, encouragement, and education as kind of the, the focus of the program. Same with the Vision Zero Network, they're starting to grapple with how some communities have used Vision Zero goals to justify some pretty problematic enforcement efforts. So when we passed our Vision Zero uh, resolution in Tacoma, I was really glad to see council focus on anti-racism and engineering and, and the relationship between speed and safety. This fall, City Council passed a resolution calling for gathering data on race and ethnicity during police interactions, particularly traffic stops. Uh, the resolution notes that traffic stops are the most common interaction that the public has with the police, like as Naomi mentioned, and that Black drivers are 20% more likely to be stopped and one and a half to two times more likely to be searched in the U.S. Um, so we expect many more conversations on the role of enforcement in our transportation system to come out of that work, as well as our work on Vision Zero. Um, in terms of a specific example, one of our major policy efforts last year was passing a whole package of changes aimed at making our municipal code consistent with our transportation policies and our equity goals. So the most prominent change was the repeal of Tacoma's helmet laws. And for folks who maybe didn't follow the issue closely, I'll reiterate now, as I do every time I discuss this, um, you should wear a helmet every time you bike, skateboard, skate or scoot. Helmets are absolutely effective. 
Uh, but helmet laws have been shown to be ineffective at improving public health because they reduce the use of active transportation, which reduces the safety and numbers effect. And then enforcement of helmet laws is disproportionately targeted at people of color. In Tacoma, there were 11 citations we have data for in 2019. 45% of those were issued to black men who make up approximately 5% of Tacoma's population. Geographically, the South End and East Side were overrepresented in those citations. So I fully recognize those changes were really small in the larger system of transportation enforcement that needs to be addressed, um, but it, I am glad it's one step we could take to build a more just system. Thank you. Um, that's really, really interesting data, kind of um, discouraging data, but good data to have so we know what's the problem we're trying to solve. And I also love the fact that you were an advocate outside of the city who then decided to come bring all your advocacy inside the city um, and, and help us to, to do better. So that's very, very cool. Um, I'm going to switch uh, gears to, to Isha. And um, I know in our pre-conversation getting ready for this forum, you, you talked about your experiences of being profiled um, for being young and Black and in public and in public spaces. And um, can you speak about how um, your mobility has been limited under, under this under those conditions and how that's maybe changed the way that you move around the city? Well, I couldn't hear you because you was coming in and out, but the first experience I want to give was, it was my freshman year of high school. Um, can you lean a little bit closer? You're a little bit garbled too. Can you hear me okay? Can you hear me now? Yeah, that's good right there. So it was my freshman year, I was walking up chemistry and soda was an open campus while I was walking this older white guy jumped in front of me and I was like oh he wants to ask me a question so I took out my headphones but he wasn't really asking me a question he was yelling at me he was telling me that I don't belong in America he was telling me to get out of his country and that I'm a terrorist and all these racial slurs but while he was saying those stuff towards me he was trying to hit me too so I had to back up and there was another older white lady, and I thought she was going to come and handle the situation, but instead of coming to ask if I was okay, she just sat in her car. But I did report it to the school, but they said they couldn't do anything because it was during, it was going to spring break in a couple hours, but it affected my comfort on the way I traveled around the city. When I go out by myself, I feel like something bad is always going to happen. My anxiety starts to intensify. People look at me as a triple threat because I'm a black woman Muslim, but I never really knew that until middle school when somebody told me, oh, you're a triple threat because you're a black woman Muslim and that you should take off your scarf now that Donald Trump was president. But um, if people have my skin color, then they definitely don't, then they definitely won't like me because of my religion. So whenever I'm traveling, around Tacoma, I'm always cautious of the places I go, my surroundings. Thanks for sharing that. Um, and I think that's, you know, kind of the, the crux of what we're talking about, that people um, should be able to move freely around the city and feel safe doing so, and should have, um, feel the protections of of law enforcement and, and, and the difference between how different people feel about in those situations. I'm going to move to Naomi now and um, 
Can you walk us through how interactions like the one maybe that Isha was describing, how those concerns can escalate and what the consequences of that can be for 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 all people, but especially um, people of color and um, you know Muslims and Asia. Like we've been hearing a lot about that happening to Asian Americans um, over the last year. Um, so um, can you, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So just to break it down, um, under the law, police contacts usually fall into one one of two categories: social contacts, which means they're not investigating anything; they're just coming up and talking to you and investigation-based contact. And that could be based off of a traffic or pedestrian or criminal citation that they that they see something happen. Um, and then there's this kind of in-between area where they're investigating something that looks suspicious. And technically, if they're not investigating an actual crime that can fall under the social, but they're, they really are. I mean, that, that's the premise of it is they wanna see if there is something going on. And finally, um, also under investigation would be if they are responding to a dispatch. So somebody called 911 and they've been sent out. Um, And pretty much based off of any of that, um, and I want to be very clear, not all law enforcement is necessarily out to target people of color. Like there are plenty of officers just out there trying to engage with their community or, or follow up on what they suspect is criminal activity. Um, however, there is a bit of the culture where what ends up happening is um, a targeting, and we know there's a targeting. The uh, Pierce County did an internal audit of, of, of essentially um, racism within each of its criminal justice levels, and what came out was uh, pop- uh, the Black population in the general Tacoma area, which includes University Place, Fife, but Fircrest, all of those areas, um, is around six to seven percent, six or seven percent, um, and black arrests uh, account for twenty percent of total arrests. So three times the population. Um, Native Americans account for a little over one percent, um, up to two percent, depending on the area uh, of the population, and the arrests account for four percent of total arrests in the area. So over double their population. Um, and so we know that contacts are happening dis- disproportionately with people of color. And unfortunately, that data doesn't break down between does the contact start as a social contact or an investigative contact. What we know is the result, though, is that the arrests and also um, booking, which means they're actually taken to jail, those numbers actually line up. So not only are they being arrested, but they're very likely also being taken to jail. And that happens when they're walking through the park and they, you know, maybe it's around dark hours. And so that becomes most, most city parks say that at dark, the, the parks close down. So they're technically trespassing. That gives the officers the right to go up and start talking to people and um, to investigate criminal activity. Um, even if somebody's not doing anything particularly criminal, um, they're, they're qualifying that contact um, or, you know, I mean, it's that whole suspicious thing that comes under. And then what happens is um, what, what a, a consequence that you're looking at is either they're looking for something more, like they see that somebody's uh, light is out on a car on their license plate, they pull somebody over. 
they might be there just to cite, cite somebody for um, a bad light, but they might also be trying to dig for a DUI or see if they see drug paraphernalia in the in the seat. Similarly, if you're if you're walking around, um, you know, they might start it off as a social, but it could be with the hopes that they're going to find something more. Um, if it's a purely social contact, if you haven't done anything wrong, the law says and the Constitution says you don't have to talk to them. However, um, as Isha has described in her experience, what she's got to do is present an ID in order to keep herself safe. Um, even though the law says that if she's not doing anything wrong, she doesn't have to, to keep herself safe, she does that. Well, if somebody decides, no, I'm going to stand my ground, I don't have to. Unfortunately, what we start seeing then is we start seeing escalations um, where the police might turn that into, okay, I'm going to arrest you for obstruction or failure to provide, failure to obey under the failure to provide an ID prong. Um, and if it got physical, even if the person feels like they're defending their body, um, any physical reaction to the police could result in a felony charge of assault in the third degree or a misdemeanor charge in resisting arrest or obstruction. So it can escalate quickly. And I would just have people keep in mind, if you see somebody that's not familiar in your neighborhood, if there's, if you feel uncomfortable, um, think about why do you feel uncomfortable? Are they actually doing something criminal? Um, or is there another reason why you feel uncomfortable? Because calling the police can quickly, if somebody's not, can quickly escalate to something where um, somebody's getting arrested and potentially even charged with some very serious crimes, particularly if they, um, if they're a person of color, if they're wearing a hijab, if there's something about them that tends to fall within these lines where we know people are more likely to get arrested. Um, so last month we, we talked about infrastructure and there was a lot of conversation about um, SEPTED or uh, crime prevention through environmental design and, and how that there is some inherent racism in that just in terms of it encourages people to watch their neighborhoods or watch their blocks or, you know, and and just what you just said, Naomi. And so I kind of wanted you to ex expand on that in terms of, um, like, it's, it's not a bad thing to watch your neighbor's house or to watch out, but what are, what are maybe some other techniques or ways or, I don't know. I, I don't know what I'm asking exactly, but I just think that's such an important part of the balance between being a good neighbor and understanding what our biases are and what what might strike us as scary or different and what the repercussions of that might be for people who like Isha are just walking to the bus stop from school but are accosted on the process of doing that. Um, and, and I don't belong to a neighborhood watch and I feel like somebody who's been through that training might be able to answer that question better. What I would say is in general, um, my personal feelings based off of what I do and understanding that everybody has a different level of comfort. Um, but I, I know that, you know, my husband feels a lot more comfortable with police because he's, he's a white man. He's, you know, educated, he's only ever seen the police as a protecting force, understanding that that's not the case for everybody. And even if that's not your position, understanding that that might not be the case for everybody. And again, assessing why do you feel uncomfortable? Um, maybe keeping, if you're watching a, a neighbor's house, maybe keeping information if somebody's going up to their house to say, hey, were you expecting anything? Um, 
but looking at that actual behavior and is is that innocent behavior is the is what they're doing in and of itself something like are they peering through windows are they checking the doors or are they just walking down the street are they just walking slowly down the street and and, and not necessarily take into account what they're wearing people wear clothes for different reasons um just i would say that my my personal feeling is that unless i see actual harm being done i'm not going to be somebody who's going to call the police because i know the consequences and if i see somebody being harmed you know i'm going to make sure they know that i see that um and you know i might even consider asking hey do you want me to call the police ahead of time um because unless you've been there from the very beginning you might not know the full story of what's going on. Um, and then ask yourself, you know, if somebody's riding down the street without a helmet, is that something that you really need to call the police for? Um, we no longer have the helmet laws, so hopefully you're not calling the police for that. <laughs> um, but uh, if somebody's walking their, their dog down the street without a leash, we do have a leashing ordinance. Is that something you really need to call the police for? Or can you step out and say, hey, just a friendly reminder, there's a leashing ordinance. Um, you know, and, and go about it that way. Think about uh, alternatives if you feel safe of how to do that. And if you don't feel safe, again, think to yourself about why do you not feel safe? It might be something where you ought to say nothing. Um, and if there's a legitimate concern to your, your personal immediate safety, that might be the time when you actually consider calling in. Thank you. Appreciate that. Liz, I wanted to come back to you because we, we talked about um, the 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 situations that Isha was in, some of the things Naomi talked about, and I know infrastructure plays a big part of that. Um, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how the, the lack of infrastructure in some place then leads to this. Like, it's easy to, I think, I don't think you're supposed to ride your bike on the sidewalk, but in some places there's no option but to ride your bike in the middle of the street, which I remember um, one time we were doing an open house in South Tacoma Way about um, the the mall revitalization project. And um, one of the people who testified was an 11 year old boy. And he said, all I want is someplace I can ride my bike where the cars aren't parked. Um, because his mom told him he had to stay on one side of the parked cars. And, and there wasn't the way the streets were, cars were parked on both sides. So he basically either has to ride in the middle of the street or he has to ride on the grass. And so he said, I just want to ride my bike. And I think about, I hear his little voice and how composed he was, um, you know, presenting his case, but like we create situations and then, you know, that same 10 year old boy turns 15 and now we're calling him a hoodlum because he's riding his bike in the middle of the street in a situation we created because there's no place for him to park. So, yeah, I think. I think that's a great example. We are, one of the code changes is like, you are allowed to ride your bike on the sidewalk because we recognize that there is not infrastructure. It used to be in most places of the city, but we, that was one of the code changes is just clarifying that that's allowed. Um, it still comes up with skateboarding as an example. So um, technically because of state law, so this wasn't something we could just change at the local level. You're supposed to skateboard on the sidewalk. Um, but we know that not all of our sidewalks are ADA accessible. We don't have curb ramps. So how, like, we, we have some of these laws in place that, that expect behavior that isn't supported um, by our infrastructure. And so that's, we're really putting people in this kind of catch-22 situation. 
Um, what changes uh, would you make to policy or infrastructure to promote more equitable um, safety? And Isha, I'm going to start with you. What things would you like to see as a young person living in this community? What things would you like to see us do differently to make it feel more safe for you and your friends? Okay, well, I would like to see policies be more equitable for people. Anti-bias and anti-racist trainings should be year-round instead of one day out of the year where companies and businesses send their employees to attend. And having the community slash public opinion, for example, creating surveys to try to understand what the community really needs. And I feel like a lot of policies they sugarcoat the things they want the community to hear, but instead the community gets tricked into signing or into one of these policies. And instead of being arrested real quick, I would like to see warnings instead of getting arrested right away for minor infractions. Thank you. Those are great suggestions. Naomi, what would you like to see? Um, and I know there's a lot of debate on, on the effectiveness of training, but I would like to see continued training with law enforcement about identifying internal biases and, and um, unconscious biases. So that way we see a cut down on uh, contacts that are very clearly largely based off of um, race. And um, I would like to end de-escalation. Um, and also just maybe a reminder regarding people don't have, if people say I don't have to talk to you, they really don't have to talk to you and not necessarily escalate after that. Um, and um, I, I don't know, maybe some more community-wide know your rights trainings for people in the community so they know their rights and they know how they can assert those rights in ways that aren't going to end up escalating or, or being perceived as escalating the situation. Um, and then I'd like, I'd like there to be a serious look at policies on, um, on whether or not something is actually causing harm. What is, what's the purpose of policies? And let's get things off the books that are just creating uh, excuses for police contact that don't actually cause real harm to the community. And um, in the very least, decriminalize them and make them potentially civil infractions. For example, driving while license suspended third is driving while your license is suspended for a financial purpose. Um, a lot of communities have stopped criminally prosecuting them and uh, immediately amending them to civil infractions, um, but it's not a requirement. I would like to see that law brought down um, to in the most being a civil infraction. Um, and I would like to see police stop using that as a reason to pull people over to start searching for other, other charges. I would say yesterday our, our Supreme Court uh, decriminalized, or our Supreme Court struck down as unconstitutional the possession of a controlled substance law. So I think we'll probably see um, a reduction in those types of fishing expeditions. So I'm gonna I'm gonna send it to Liz. Um, but if you have questions, put them in the chat because we're about to start Q and A in a few minutes. Go ahead, Liz. Yeah. So I would say that one of the biggest failings that we see in transportation planning and policy work is that we'll see an outcome that we want or something we want to avoid. Like we don't want people to get head injuries while bicycling, or we don't want drivers to speed and harm themselves or others. 
But then as planners and decision makers and as a society, we don't invest the time and resources to achieve those aims in an equitable or effective way. So by designing safe and complete streets or making helmets accessible, or maybe even regulating vehicular design to prioritize pedestrian safety. And so I think we're kind of over eager to just pass a law that's really focused on individual behavior, tell the police to enforce it, and then kind of hope for the best and pat ourselves on the back as if we've accomplished what we set out to do. And I think as Isha and Naomi have highlighted, those laws often aren't enforced equitably. And even if they were, many times they're focused on penalizing people after harm has already occurred rather than preventing the harm. So I think if I can make a change, I would really like to see us focus on what those end goals are and then explore all the tools we have to achieve those goals. So design and infrastructure and education, regulation, housing policies, like all of these things are intersecting. And I would like to see us invest in strategies that support healthy, thriving communities, prioritize resources where we see the greatest disparities, invest in authentic community engagement, certainly fund infrastructure, doing it all in the way that, that talks about transportation and housing and employment and parks and education. Like we've got a lot to do. Yes, we certainly do. But um, that's a that's a great segue. Hello, friends. This is Marguerite Martin, creator of MoveToTacoma.com and co-founder of Channel 253. It's bad out there, folks. Home prices in Pierce County are up 15% year over year. While it's no secret that the market is hot, you may not know that Tacoma has been the hottest housing market in the country for several years. There is an extreme shortage of homes for buyers to buy. Having a local Tacoma buyer's agent that specializes in the neighborhood and price range you're after can mean the difference between losing or winning the bid on your dream home. If you're looking to sell your current home and find something that meets your needs better, having a neighborhood expert handle your listing will impact how much money you net off of your sale. The right agent to market and sell a home on the West Slope might not be the same person who has the expertise and connections to find you an income generating duplex somewhere else. All agents have specialties and I know the players for every niche. Best of all, it doesn't cost you anything. Great local agents are happy to pay me a finder's fee if you end up buying or selling. And you can rest easy knowing you're going to get a great agent who specializes in exactly what you're looking for. If you want to learn more, visit MoveToTacoma.com and use the contact form. Thanks for listening to Channel 253. I think I'm going to go ahead and start taking questions. we got a few in the box already. So um, do, do you know which neighborhoods are disproportionately affected by car injuries to children and youth due to the lack of sidewalks and crosswalks? And I'm guessing, Liz, you would be the best person to answer that question. Yeah, so as I mentioned, we did the mapping for Safe Routes to School. And so that kind of showed us where the youth collisions were happening in Tacoma. Um, as Vision Zero moves forward, I hope we'll kind of intersect We've done some work. Uh, my colleague, Carrie, our Safe Rest to School coordinator, uh, created a map that shows bicycle and pedestrian serious injuries and fatalities over the equity index. And so we, we know that they are concentrated in the um, parts of town that have the lowest opportunity. And so um, we haven't yet put in the infrastructure layer, but I think that will be part of the Vision Zero data effort. Great. Um, there's another question for you, Liz. Um, you mentioned the value of using data to spur action. Do you have any recommendations on the best sources of data 
ways to collect it, and how to prevent it if folks get if folks want to get to action. Um, and you're a great person to ask that because you did it already. So tell them how you did it. Yeah. Um, well, first you can like we're doing more of this this work internally now as well. So um, certainly you can get in touch and we can tell you some of the the data that we have. Um, one source that we use a lot is the the state crash data. So WashDOT, our state Department of Transportation, um, gets all of the the crash data across the state, and so anybody can request those reports and kind of start to dig into that information. Um, the city's equity index is a fantastic um, source in the city. If you are a, a GIS user and, and interested in like the mapping elements, you can download those layers um, online. Um, and then, as I mentioned, the, the city council resolution that's going to start looking at the um, traffic stops and in, including race and ethnicity. I think that's one of the biggest gaps we see. So like our crash data, for example, doesn't include race and ethnicity um, as on the on the crash reports. And so what, that's why when I talk about Save Rosa School, I say the crashes are happening in communities of color and lower income communities, but we don't actually know who is involved in the crash. And so um, it's also how, you know, as as we are as city officials and folks asking for for better data collection. That's a big piece of it. And um, I will get the information when we solidify the dates, but we are going to do some more education around the equity index where we will invite, we'll do it for internal city staff, but we'll also do some for community members. So if people want to know how to use the equity index, um, that's one of the things my department is working on. And we're also looking to expand it to cover all of Pierce County because we serve um, through TPU, through, through the public utility, we serve more than just Tacoma. And we wanna be able to do some really good comparisons about equity and where things are and how we're doing our resources. So um, plug for that and I will get the, the dates to, to Laura and um, Emily so that you guys can get that information. Um, our next question is, um, is there a comprehensive resource available for Tacoma that lists resources for support besides 911 and the police? Um, Naomi, I'm going to shoot that to you. I don't know if you know that, but. I know there's a non-emergency number for law enforcement, um, but again, that's usually meant for re uh, reporting crimes. What I would say is um, the, the resources, I do have a list of resources. However, I have a list of resources that was compiled for my clients. I don't know if there's a countywide or citywide, um, but I do know that there are agencies out there. I do know that when you call the police, you can ask. They have uh, a couple mental health designated people. You can ask for that. I will say from experience, sometimes that person's not on duty and that's not the person who gets sent. So just because they have that resource, I would not necessarily say that that becomes a legitimate option. Um, but you know, Greater Lakes Mental Health um, does a lot of stuff with mental health issues. I know like Catholic Community Services does a lot for housing. There are lots of things out there. And um, if there isn't already one with the city, you know, um, I, I would I would happily help to compile something that could be sent out because um, I think that's a great idea if it's not already there. I was just having the same thought that I will check in the city to see if we have something like that. But if we don't, um, I think that'd be a great project for the community to try to figure out how to how to put that together because I think it's needed. So thank you for that question. 
Um, our next question is, perhaps we need a little publicity to let people know that racial attacks are illegal. I was verbally threatened by a, a man from his car because I had a Tacoma um, housing sticker saying I support refugees and immigrants. He wasn't native, so he too was an immigrant. Um, I think that's more of a comment, but uh, agreed, agreed. Um, and that's another project. I think part of this, um, these forums is figuring out how community can step into these spaces. And, um, you know, uh, if you want to reach out to, um, in my department, I, there's a Kenny Coble, who is our community engagement coordinator, who is finding new and different ways for us to work with the community. And if that is something that you really want to spearhead and you want to talk about what that campaign might look like or how we might be helpful to um, gather a group to work on that, we would love to. We also have um, the Commission on Immigrant and Refugee Affairs um, that uh, hosts Welcoming Week. And I know they would love to talk about how how to have that campaign to really help. Um, and I think it goes beyond just, you know, immigrants, but also, you know, religious. It's, it, there's, there's lots of things happening in this community that we need to rally against and kind of push back against. So love that idea. Um, what can be done to have universal pedestrian sidewalks and wheelchair ramps throughout Tacoma? Um, I'm new to Tacoma and sidewalks are in standards um, in other cities. So Liz, that's, that's for you. That's a great question. Um, and something we are definitely grappling with um, on our, on staff side as well. Um, as I mentioned, recently mapped um, where we have sidewalks and where we don't, we definitely see just kind of the, the scope of the issue. Right now, I think the biggest barrier is, is funding, honestly, that um, we've got really limited resources for active transportation and just like the cost of putting in sidewalks after the fact can be really high. And so it's how do we um, put more resources towards that. And so uh, funding is definitely a big conversation that we are having in terms of um, how we can invest in transportation infrastructure. Um, so many, uh, the next question is many times folks don't hear about new policies, structural changes, et cetera, until after the fact when decisions have already been made or even put into place. What are some of the best practices in terms of getting involved in your community so that you can better impact the outcomes? Um, I think uh, Liz and Naomi could talk about that a little bit just from how, how, you, how you maybe from an outside perspective, keep track of what's happening. Cause I know Laser has done a really good job of being on top of what's on the agenda and showing up to those meetings. But Liz, um, maybe talk first about where we post those type, that type of information so people know. How to yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so this is always a, a work in progress as we, we aim to do a better job of engaging the community and, and make sure that folks have, an, have opportunities to um, get involved and let us know what they think. So in the chat, there's our uh, Tacoma Mobility social media pages. So on Instagram and Twitter, we're at Tacoma Mobility and then Mobility253 on Facebook. So that's a great way to follow along. Um, you can also let city staff send us an email, let your decision makers know what, what your priorities are. That's, that's always really effective. Um, and then we also have a lot of committees and commissions as well. So I've got the Bicycle Pedestrian Technical Advisory Group that I and the staff support for. We've also got Transportation Commission. 
Um, we've got the Commission Individuals with Disabilities. And so there's just lots of ways that folks can plug in depending on whether, um, you know, how the, the scale that they want to be involved in. And um, yeah, we try to trying to do a better job. And if there's other ways that you think we can improve on that, we definitely want to hear from you. From a participant's uh, point of view, um, going to the city website, they, they do have that. Sometimes, because I don't know everything that's going to be on the city website, it can feel a bit complicated in trying to navigate myself. Um, and so what I would say is everybody, I mean, on the one hand, we like doing things in person. On the other hand, it's become so much easier to attend city council meetings. Um, and the few times where I've had issues finding things and I'm asking questions, somebody actually will tell me where to look for it and they'll put it in the chat of, and sometimes they'll even put the link on for the city website of where I can find it. Um, looking at the agendas for the meetings, see what is actually being discussed. That gives you a little bit less notice, um, but I, you know, the city website is really, the city website and the city Facebook page is really where uh, Laser has been getting their advanced notice of things. And that's how we've been putting notice out a couple weeks ahead. So um, using that, and then even if you don't know exactly what's gonna be discussed, if show up at the city council meetings, you don't have to talk. Um, they're admittedly not super riveting most of the time, but if you have questions about what's going on, um, have it on in the background because that's where you're going to find out what's going on. And then at the end of a lot of the city council meetings, there'll be an opportunity to be heard. So if they say something that concerns you, you can then make your concerns. Yep, um, that's very true. So I think one of the things that people don't know about just the way the city works is study session, which is the meeting that happens at Tuesday at noon, is where most of the like in-depth information is given. So, and those are available. You can go to tvtacoma.org and watch those anytime. Um, you can also, um, we when you actually go into the agenda, you'll see the agenda items. You can click on the item you wanna hear and it'll take you right to that part. So you don't have to listen to the whole meeting. So if you watch council meetings after the fact, or you listen to study sessions after the fact, you can kind of navigate and hear the parts that you wanna hear. Also the second and fourth Tuesdays of the month are community forum and virtual forum. And those are the times where you can talk to council about anything that you have interest in, that it's under their jurisdiction. It doesn't have to be on the agenda. You don't have to have any specific tie-in. You can just tell them what you want to tell them. And so um, those, are, those are a couple of ways just structurally that you can get information from the city. And again, like I said, um, if you go into Legistar, which is a little bit tricky, but if you get in there and you go to the meeting that you want to see, there will be an agenda and you can click on the agenda and you can just listen to that, that item. So if you want to hear Liz talk about uh, active transportation, you can, you can Google it, you can find it, and you can listen to just her part. You don't have to listen to the whole three-hour meeting, unless you're me. It has to fit through all of it. But um, uh, next question. Um, and I'm not sure who can answer this question, so jump in whoever thinks they can. Um, our team of urban designers is interested in working on how we use SEPTED for design. Um, do you have feedback on how we might change design and approach um, so that SEPTED is not perceived as targeting minorities? Um, I think this is a really great question because I, I know people want to you know, design community so that they feel safer. And how do you do that without the added kind of push of, of 
maybe making it unsafe for certain people through doing that. So do either of you have, any of you have ideas about that? I would just note that, and, and there's a number of news articles and studies that have come out that talk about, um, and I want to be very clear, when I, when I refer to defund the police right now, I'm talking about reallocation of um, funds. That's what I mean. I'm, you know, reallocation that have talked about um, less money going to the police, um, but also putting more into other safety issues like putting more street lights up um, and having more mental health opportunities, having established community centers in neighborhoods where there's a focal place for people to go and, and be active and, and not in the street so people feel uncomfortable with people in the street. Um, so I would say, you know, there are, there are plenty of, of great ideas out there. And I, I think the trick is, is getting the money to those places. Um, but personally, I think, you know, for people who feel concerned about their, their neighborhood being an unsafe place, put up street lights, um, get a community center somewhere nearby or, or a place that can be designated as such probably takes care of a lot of those people walking down the streets and people in their houses feeling unsafe. That probably takes a large chunk of that. Um, and then I don't, I don't know for urban planning regarding buses and, and um, all of that, but I would also say just making sure that buses going to the correct, uh, to enough neighborhoods and the neighborhoods that need the most service. So that way, you know, people aren't having to walk long um, ways through areas that they're not familiar with to get to buses. Yeah, I also think that SEPTED, which stands for Crime Prevention Through Environmental Design, like it starts with crime prevention as the goal. And that kind of gets back to my earlier point, like is our goal to prevent crime or is our goal to have like healthy, thriving communities? And so I think some of the strategies may overlap like lighting, um, like making sure that people feel like they've, they've got good visibility that they can um, tell what's happening around them, things like that. But it's how it's framed and then how it's, um, how communities are engaged in the, the decision-making and design process that I think is really crucial. Yeah. Isha, I wanna ask you a question. So what, what would safety in public spaces mean to, to you? And, um, and if we were able to figure some of these things out, how would that, how would that affect your, your life um, right now? At the end, did you say how would it affect my life mm -hmm. right now? Safety mm -hmm. laws, personally, I feel like a lot of laws are put in place to help protect people, but then at the end of the day, there's loopholes within those laws that people use for their biases to hurt minorities or people of color, black people. So how it affects my everyday life. Well, I could be doing anything. Somebody can still find a lot to use against me. Like, Lord, there's a lot that says can't stand around places like that or something. I could just be walking over space somewhere real quick. People are already going to assume that I'm suspicious or I'm a threat. And like the other experience when I was walking with my group of friends to the bus stop trying to get home. We weren't doing nothing wrong, but then the police officer told us, oh, can I see your ID to make sure you go to soda? And in my head, I was thinking, what ID to go? 
to prove I don't know with going on the bus. It has nothing to do with it. But of course, you can't, when you're a black person or a person of color, you can't back talk towards a police officer because you have bad consequences. Person, you have the freedom to do anything when it not anything. They have the freedom to do majority stuff that black people can't do when it comes to police officers. But I feel like laws are always going to be used against black people, whether the body is intentioned or not, but there's always going to be a loophole. Thank you for that. Um, that's why I think it's so important that we address these issues because there's, there's tons of young kids and we've got to create a community where um, we all feel comfortable and safe. Um, young people have so much to contribute to us. Um, they have been the leaders in uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. They've been the leaders in the climate action work. I mean, and so we can't just create spaces where we only allow them to have a voice when it's comfortable for us to have, for them to have a voice. Um, and I, I used to tell um, in my past life, I worked a lot with youth, youth and I said, no meaningful social change has ever happened from old people. Um, and by old people, I'm, I'm talking about myself now. Um, you know, once people get into their, their 40s and 50s, um, they, they have careers to think about, they've got families to support, their, their appetite for risk-taking is just becomes a little bit different and they have learned to navigate the systems as they are. And so they're not as offended by them. And young people, um, see things and they're like, that's not what you told me. You told me that I could have access to all these things or that the world was supposed to be safe for me. And so they're more willing to challenge the status quo. And we've got to, as a community, figure out a way to embrace that, to guide that and support it in a way that helps us to become a better society overall. And so I just wanna say, I appreciate Isha for you even being here today and for you speaking your truth and allowing us to hear it. Um, I did put in the chat um, how you get to Legislar, um, and thank you, Sola, for uh, uh, providing that support for us. Um, so it is, is in the chat, and we have one more question, and then I think we'll be done. And um, Justin wants to know a little bit more about Vision Zero and what's involved, and I know, Liz, that's your, that's your jam, so uh, go ahead. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Um, so Vision Zero, as I mentioned, is about eliminating all traffic fatalities and severe injuries. And so City Council about a year ago um, set a goal that in Tacoma, we would do that by 2035. Um, and the goal is we're doing that while increasing safe, healthy and equitable mobility for all. So you don't get that by, by making everyone stay home. Um, and so, in Tacoma, I shared some of the stats, but we had more than 400 fatalities and serious injuries between 2014 and 2018, which is like every four and a half days, there's a family that has changed forever because of these crashes on Tacoma roads. And so um, we have so much work to do. The Vision Zero approach is a little different than kind of our traditional approach to active transportation safety because it really has as its premise that traffic deaths are preventable and that we need to design our streets to understand that people make mistakes sometimes and that we need to design our streets to make them to kind of accommodate 
mistakes to not meet to not have like one small mistake result in a fatality or a serious injury. Um, it also uses a systems approach. So I talked about how some of our um, kind of enforcement efforts now really focus on the, the individual and it's okay, well, no, like how can we design our streets so that people don't want to speed on them because our lanes are narrower, there's a protected bike lane, there's trees, like there's so much we can do from the design perspective that makes folks just naturally go slower. And so um, it's really investing in, the, in those sorts of things. And the, the city does have a website at cityoftacoma.org slash vision zero that you can check out more information, sign up for updates um, and expect a lot more to come. If you follow uh, Tacoma Mobility or Downtown on the Go, I'm sure we'll be having um, more conversations on this in the months ahead. Thank you, Liz. We are almost at time. Um, I want to give you guys an opportunity if you have any final closing uh, closing thoughts. Um, if you do, uh, go ahead and unmute yourself and you can say them. Um, if not, um, I want to thank everybody for um, joining us today. Obviously, we never have enough time for these uh, conversations. We could talk about these things for hours. Um, thank you so, so much to all our panelists uh, for sharing their expertise and experiences with us today. Um, and thank you, Tanisha, for moderating this great conversation. Um, you do such an amazing job, and we're so thankful to have you as part of the forums. Um, you really keep us running. Um, and I want to thank everyone who attended today uh, for spending your time with us and engaging with us uh, in this topic. Um, please join us on March 26th as we continue our series on racism and transportation policy with a forum exploring how policies go from ideas to implementation. Also, on March 11th, we will have a virtual Ride the Bus event, which will be a panel where we discuss um, transit development and gentrification in Hilltop. Um, that will have speakers from Tacoma Housing Authority and the Hilltop Action Coalition. You can find more information and register for both of these events on our website, downtownonthego.org. Keep an eye out for the Crossing Division podcast's upcoming episode, uh, which will be called Harm Prevention, Decisions and Consequences, uh, where Evelyn Lopez will speak with uh, Shannon McMinimi of Cedar Law Group and kind of continue on the topics that uh, we discussed today. Uh, check out Crossing Division's website for more engagement opportunities there. You can view the recorded forum on TV Tacoma beginning tonight, um, or you can listen on channel 253, and we will post a recording to our Facebook page next week. Thank you again for attending, um, and we look forward to continuing these conversations at next month's forum. Thanks so much, everybody. Did you know Channel 253 is member-supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com membership and join. Thank you. Crossing Division is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows. Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Art Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounders B Team, Citizen Tacoma, What Say You, and Gimme the Mic. This is Channel 253.